This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. Today, we are going to talk about reclaiming the sacred. The sacred in you, the sacred in life, the sacred in all the world. Consider the thought that perhaps money doesn't bring you as much happiness as you thought. And in fact, giving to another human being will actually make you happier. These are among the concepts that you'll find in Jeff Golden's book, Reclaiming the Sacred, Healing Our Relationships with Ourselves and the World, a grand prize winner from Nautilus Book Awards. Jeff has spent a decade of his life doing the research for this book, and at the heart of it is a very simple concept, one that we talk about all the time, and one that can be very difficult to put into practice, and that is everything. Everything good and beautiful springs forth first from a beautiful relationship with our own selves. Reclaim the sacred and heal your relationship with your own self. Come to love yourself deeply, and you'll find that in giving to others, you're also feeding your own spirit. Jeff Golden has been teaching and writing about these topics for over 30 years, most recently at Vassar College. His Fulbright scholarship was in sustainable development. He is an advocate for prison reform and animal rights, and he's headed several nonprofits promoting social justice, sustainability, and international education. He comes from Ohio. And when he sent out the press release for this new book, Reclaiming the Sacred, he sent it all over the world, or his publicist did. And among the first to respond was me, only to find out he is my neighbor right here in the Hudson Valley. And then Jeff Golden taught me that we actually live in the Mohicanituck Valley that belongs to the indigenous tribe the Mohicans. It's funny, you living right here would know better than anyone. The Mohicanatuck was the native name for this river that we call the Hudson River. And so referring to the Mohicanatuck Valley instead of just saying Hudson Valley wasn't meant to be a diss on the Hudson Valley, but an honoring of that deeper, longer history of who lived here before they were forced to move to Wisconsin. And I happen to have a relationship with some of the Mohican people living still out on that reservation. So this felt like an important way of honoring them just by acknowledging their original name. Wow. That's what that is. Yeah. So you came from Idaho to this Hudson River Valley, but what's your relationship with Wisconsin? Well, First of all, I mean, I've lived in the Hudson Valley for about 20 years now. I moved here from San Francisco, but I was living up in Tivoli and heading a nonprofit up there. We started like a co-housing community, a house up there that was shared by a bunch of different people. And one of the things I wanted to do was give people living there and visiting there a context for the bigger picture of how do we fit into all these other things going on in the world, these different issues and opportunities. And an obvious one was 
this land that we were building on and living on. And so I did some research. I don't want to go into it too much. I know we've got other things to talk about, but it was not easy to even discover who the original people were who lived up there in Tivoli where we were. And in time, I realized that it was the Mohicans, and I intentionally got in touch with some of the key people out there in Wisconsin and established a relationship with them. And unfortunately, after about five or six years, we actually had to sell that housing co-op up there. But when we did, any money that was left over, we actually donated to the Mohicans in Wisconsin to their culture and language committee and an amazing, amazing woman who heads that committee. So that's just like a little sampler of what that relationship has been for me. Wow. We're talking to Jeff Golden, author of Reclaiming the Sacred, Healing Our Relationships with Ourselves and the World. We get it now, Jeff. I live in the Hudson Valley. I think thoughts about the Native Americans. You've gone several steps beyond just thinking thoughts about the people who lived here before us. Yeah, it's part of my desire to just really live in, I mean, the, one of the focuses of the book is just joy, but linked very closely with that is living in greater harmony, justice, love with ourselves and the world around us. And for me, recognizing what really is a very recent history, when you look at the big picture, it's only in the past 150 years that um, most of the people living in this area for about 10,000 years were forcibly removed. I think it's an incredible injustice, and there's still lots of opportunities for us to try and do things about that. It's not just dead history. It's very much alive today, and, and the vibrant, wonderful people, in this case the Mohicans, are still alive and trying to do their best, even though, truthfully, most of them never even actually experienced their homeland here. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. You have uh, you have taught most recently at Vassar College. You uh, are a Fulbright scholar, and your area of expertise is sustainable sustainable development. So I get that with your first nonprofit was about housing and you've been yeah. you've headed up several other nonprofits yes I have. One was a nonprofit I started in San Francisco. This was in the early days of the internet, which was an internet-based international education program. We sent eight people traveling around the world for two years with digital cameras and laptops and digital video cameras, and we posted twice a week content for teachers and students to use in their classes, learning about current events, but also just learning about the cultures and people in these countries. So it mostly tied in with like global studies, and that sort of thing. And then I moved out here to the Hudson or Mohicanatuck Valley about 20, 22 years ago to head a nonprofit that's based up in Rhinebeck that runs these international youth camps called Camp Rising Sun. Uh, There's one kind of near the aerodrome and another one over near the Omega Institute. So I did that for a few years and I thought I'd head right back out west because that's where I'm from and I love it out there. But life here is pretty good. The people here are pretty amazing and it's over 20 years years now that I'm still here. Yeah, you say in your bio that you live with your children and the river and the stars. This is really funny because my bio says I live with the trees and the stars. I can't see the river. I'm four miles away from it. (laughs) Uh That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Where is that bio? On every page of my website, it says at the bottom, no less than the trees and the stars. I love it that we have that in common in terms of how we decided to express ourselves and how we live 
live in the world, right? I trust that you can help others reclaim the sacred and heal relationships with themselves in the world. What I'd like to know before yeah. we jump into the book is, yeah. what made you you? How did you know this was your calling? That is a wonderful question, and I could answer that a few different ways, but I'm just going to dive to the heart of it in, in this case with you, which is that it was a deep calling that came to me. There are lots of things I could look at in terms of my life path and information that was coming my way, but I never planned to be an author. That wasn't something I ever dreamed of or was on my radar, but it really came to me in almost a flash that there was something I really had an opportunity to write that could potentially really connect with people, and I followed that path. The book that, that came out of that process after 10 years of research and writing was very different from what I thought it would be going in, but it was the same deep draw that pulled me through those 10 years, which was just a clarity that this was something really meant to be and something that I was here to do. So, I mean, a deep, deep sense of purpose around this book. Otherwise, I couldn't have gone through 10 years of investing myself in this, but here we are and really following my heart and feeling into that sense of purpose has brought me to this point where the book is in the world. And um, as we mentioned earlier in our emails, you know, won the grand prize at the Nautilus Book Award, the, the highest honor that I really could have imagined for it. And it's out there in the world, and I'm getting to talk with people like you. Talk to the person who says, what do you mean, reclaim the sacred? Well, first of all, by sacred, I don't really mean in a sort of traditional religious sense, like a specific kind of sacred object or something like that. What I'm really referring to more than anything is you and everyone out there listening and all of us and this world that we live in. It's like we're sitting at the top of a mountain or at the edge of an ocean, but we have this bag over our heads. The world and we ourselves are inherently amazing, miracles, just wonderful. And yet the, the time and place that we live tends to mute that. And that's why I refer to this bag over our heads. So reclaiming the sacred fundamentally for me is about pulling that bag off our heads and recognizing the wondrousness of us and this world around us, which doesn't mean just always light and easy and fun, but still fundamentally, even through all the difficulties and pain, just an incredible miracle that here we are and we have these lives and breath and sky and movement and light and music and morning shows, right? Mm, got it. Yeah. Well, I will also offer, I think that there are a lot of different forms that that bag takes, but one of the central themes in this book is not only looking at what really does nourish human happiness, that's looking at the science of happiness from the past 30 plus years, but also really looking at the relationship that happiness has with money, which is a very limited role. If you were to ask people, what do you think really makes for a happy life? Most of us get a lot of that right. I mean, things like just having time to do the things we want and spending time with friends and family, those are really important. But we also get some things amazingly wrong, and often they're the things that we're really living our lives by, and that is often about money. Interestingly, happiness in the United States has been in a pretty consistent decline since at least the 1940s. Wow. At the same time, the economic and material progress that we've seen in that time is just astounding, right? 
people in the 1940s, a third of them didn't even have indoor plumbing or mm-hmm. toilets. So we're talking about living amidst material wealth unimaginable to most people throughout all of history and throughout much of the world today, still inaccessible. And yet we're less happy. And we also have critical telling things like the largest cause of death for people under 50 is drug overdoses. Mm -hmm. There's a significant number of us addicted to alcohol and drugs. One in 25 people consider suicide every year. So this is what we're living in at the same time that most of us in our society in general is channeling so much of our time and energy into consumption and making money, making things, buying things, keeping up with things. And yet the research shows that at the end of the day, money and possessions really only account for 2 to 4% of our happiness. Wow, 2 to 4% of our happiness. What yes. does make us happy then? Well, what does make us happy, one of the things I mentioned is our social lives. There was a fascinating study done by one of the leaders in the psychology of happiness looking at homeless people in India and the U.S., Interestingly, the homeless people in India, whose conditions were much, much worse, were happier than the homeless in the United States, and indeed were overall satisfied with their lives. The critical difference was that they had managed to maintain a connection with some of their friends and family in ways that the people in the U.S. had not. The quality of our relationships, the amount of time that we spend with friends and family, is one of the significant factors that affects our happiness. And I'll go ahead and offer that arguably the single greatest factor that we have some influence over, though, is our relationship with ourselves. It has to do with just sort of the subjective experience of the world. It's what we talked about earlier in terms of having bags over our heads. The objective conditions in the world around us don't necessarily need to change, but by lifting that bag off, we can transform how we experience the world. And how we relate with ourselves is one of the most significant happiness factors. If we go around constantly judging ourselves, putting ourselves down, being fearful of what other people think, it's a heavy burden to carry that all the time. And it affects how we move in the world, how we relate to people. And by By taking the steps, by going through a process, whatever that looks for each one of us, of looking at the ways that we've internalized these negative messages, maybe things that kids or parents told us when we were little or messages we're getting from the media, and just start to shed that stuff and start to really feel better about ourselves and know that we are absolutely worthy of this life and living the way we want to and being joyful. That right there is the single largest shift a person can take in their lives. Yeah, Lucille Ball, the comedian from so many years ago, Mm -hmm. she has a very simple quote that always surprises me when I roll Mm -hmm. up upon it. And it says something to the effect of, it all comes down with loving yourself first. And if you can love yourself first, like pretty much everything else falls into place. Mm -hmm. What about the people who say, what do you mean bags on my head? What do you mean my relationship to myself? Can you address that? Well, the living with the bags of our head, I mean, one of the key things is that where we put our attention and how we feel about our lives and what we're paying attention to makes a huge difference in just how we feel and fundamentally our happiness. I mentioned money as being a a critical factor to the degree that we are just constantly rushing or stressed out or focusing our lives on money and stuff. 
we're missing out on a lot of really wonderful things, a lot of joy and beauty and indeed love. We've been using that word to just move through the world in a way where we experience that and are open to that, oriented towards that. I mean, just the glass half full, if you will, instead of half empty makes all the difference in the world. Another key thing that the research shows is that allowing ourselves to experience a range of emotions can be really important. We are obviously happiest when we're experiencing positive emotions, but the research is also really clear that overall the people who are happiest are also people who allow themselves to feel sad or frustrated or angry or scared. When we don't just suppress those and try to force ourselves to live a particular way or only feel a particular way. We are talking to author Jeff Golden, who wrote Reclaiming the Sacred, Healing Our Relationships with Ourselves and with the world. And and we're looking at happiness and we're also looking at self-love. And I'm listening to you and thinking, but this world winds mm-hmm. me up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, the pace yeah. of this world winds me up and I'm finding yeah. it to be like a part-time job just to keep mm-hmm. myself grounded and breathing. Yeah, I think that's true for most of us. And I mean, all you have to do is look at the news of the world to just get these big, heavy hits every day, right? There's just a lot of awful stuff that goes on in the world. What you and I were talking about, though, about where we put our attention Mm -hmm. is really central to what we're talking about here, because there's a lot of awfulness in the world. And there's also amazing beauty and wonder. And that's true for each of us as individuals. If we are focused on some of the negative things or shortcomings, instead of just how amazing we are, that's how we're going to move through the world. It's how we're going to feel. And it's pretty naturally, obviously, not going to nourish a lot of joy or wonder. It's not that we're ignoring the the awful things in the world. It's definitely not that we're ignoring potentially our own shortcomings or ways we might improve. But it's about saying, I've got this one lifetime, right? This is the time and place that I'm living. There's a lot of stress out there, a lot of horrifying things going on. But what I really deserve, and let's be honest also, what our kids, our families, the people around us really deserve, is for us to be feeding that other aspect of ourselves and that other aspect of the world. We got to keep doing those things to try and keep our stress down. Fundamentally, though, I think it's about what do we want to orient ourselves towards? What do we want to be feeding? When we make a decision about the people that we spend time with, the kind of news that we do watch or if we watch, and where we live, we are deciding at those key moments what are the things that we want to be thinking about and looking at. When we choose a neighborhood, immediately we're setting ourselves up for, what, 5, 10, 20 years of those people in that neighborhood being our world and setting our expectations. What are they doing? What are they buying? Mm -hmm. What are their kids wanting? Right? And so the instant we we make that kind of a decision, we set ourselves down a certain path where we're taking on a certain amount of uh, time and, and responsibility, right? Around money and stress. It doesn't mean that we can just jettison 
stress or the need to work or the need for money, but it means that if we can keep in mind the preciousness of ourselves and this world and try not to get too swept up in that, and when it comes time to make key decisions, keep that in mind. What do I really want for my life and for my kids, my family? It can be a a really important touchstone for us. Again, that money accounts for 2 to 4% of our happiness. Keep that in mind day in, day out, right, as we're making those kinds of decisions. And I'm thinking, too, the end game in reclaiming the sacred, healing our relationships with ourselves and the world isn't Mm -hmm. just to, quote, unquote, be happy, right? Oh, absolutely. You got it. A good portion of the book really takes a look at what can blossom in the world when that becomes our orientation. And particularly, a lot of the environmental destruction and global warming that's taking place, the root of it is this drive for consumption, this drive to always consume, produce, demand more. We need to take a step back from that. It absolutely is just going to have to happen one way or the other, given what we're doing to the environment. But the wonderful news is that's actually what's best for us anyway. So there's very much a powerful connection between nourishing our personal well-being and what the world really needs, both environmentally and in terms of a lot of of social issues too, where we orient our time and, and money and the price that a lot of people pay when we continue to put money and products ahead of just basic human well-being. Jeff Golden, everyone wants to know more about how they can spend more time with you and your thoughts. Where should we send them? You should send them to my book, which is called Reclaiming the Sacred. And again, my name is Jeff Golden. I spent over 10 years doing the research and writing of this book, and there's a lot of wisdom in here. So if you live locally, it's available at Rising Earth Healing Arts and Wappingers or Beacon Natural and Beacon. It's available on Amazon. Or just go get it at your library. I don't need you to buy it, but just flip it open to a few different places and see what doors it helps to open in your world. That's Jeff Golden. I want to share with you some of his thoughts on love. He writes, maybe love actually is like sunshine. Maybe it does need to be shining for us to feel it. It's just that it's always available for us to feel since it's always shining. Since we are always being loved, we are swimming in love, are of love. So in allowing ourselves to feel loved, we are simply opening to a love that is already always there, whether or not the source of that love is obvious. Maybe all the love we have ever inspired or ever been shown by other people, by anyone ever, is still present inside us, like a well or like drops of dew sparkling throughout us. The obvious people like family, friends, and partners, as well as the quieter ones like a neighbor, a midwife, an elementary school teacher, or a kind person we passed on the street. Maybe all of their love is still inside us, not just something given in passing and then used up or gone, but alive and vibrant within us always. Maybe it's the love and dreams of our ancestors flowing through our veins, woven into our cells. Maybe their love and dreams were passed down to us, along with many other gifts, like endless points of light spreading across the expanse of our beings and our lives. 
Maybe that is part of our purpose, to help channel and give expression to this ocean, to be part of its flow, divine beings with a sacred purpose of love. Maybe ultimately, that is what we are, love. Some thoughts from reclaiming the sacred, healing our relationships with ourselves and the world by Jeff Golden. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. Okay, it's here, the holiday season. Thanksgiving is coming right up next week. So I got a couple of things I want to invite you to. First, our Circle of Women Zoom is Monday night, this Monday night, November 20th. It's at six o'clock and this Zoom is all about gratitude, but perhaps not in the traditional sense. Join us for the Great Gratitude Zoom Monday night, November 20th, six o'clock. Find the link at caseysplace.com. And then on Tuesday night, December 19th, Tuesday night, December 19th, the great sound healer Michelle Clifton will present a very special night we're calling Heavenly Peace. In the midst of all the hustle and bustle of the season, give yourself one hour, or maybe two, on Tuesday, December 19th to join me at Mount Carmel Hall in Verplank. Set your intention for the new year and find some heavenly peace with Michelle Clifton's Sound Healing. A very special night, a gift you may want to give to yourself and a friend. Find details at caseysplace.com, K-A-C-E-Y-S-P-L-A-C-E.com. Don't let the holiday crazies get to you. Plan to join us for heavenly peace. And thank you for joining us today. Our thought for the day comes from Charles Bukowski, who said, If you have the ability to love, love yourself first. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on. Shine on.